this week's parsha is Parsha's Lachlacha. At the beginning of the parsha, Hakadosh Baruch Hu promises Avram that if he goes and makes the journey from his homeland, from Charon to Eretz Canaan, then he promises him many things. One of the things was Vavarechacha that I will make you very wealthy, Rashi explains that to me. I will be mevarech you with mammon. And we know that Avram Avinu eventually did become one of the wealthiest men in the world. And we see this later in the parsha when Avram Avinu goes down to Mitzrayim, and of course Parai was very uh, nice to him. After all, he wanted... Um, his sister Sarah, or he thought was his sister Sarah, and the Pasuk says, Avram hated Ba'avura. Avram was very, um, he benefited greatly from Paray, and he became very wealthy. And so we see from here that the, that the Haftacha that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave to Avram Avinu, that if you go and follow me in Lechlecha, that you will become wealthy was in fact Nizkayim later on in his life. There's a very interesting Myro Diskin on that postulate Avram Hete Bavura, where he says that it doesn't say that Parai gave him money. It doesn't say that all of the assets that later on the postulate describes were given to him by Parai. It doesn't say Ulavram. Nosan Parai. It says, Lavram Heike Bavurai. And the Marodiskin explains that Parai didn't really give him anything per se. All he did was he allowed him not to pay taxes. That was the Hatava that he did. He did him a favor. He says, I'll give you a pass when it comes to income taxes, when it comes to sales tax, when it comes to property tax, whatever it is that normal people have to pay. Parai said to Avram, you know, I like you and I want to be friends with you, so I will give you a pardon, a reprieve from paying these taxes. As a result of the fact that Avram Avinu had that extra capital to play with, he didn't have to send it to the IRS, Avram Avinu was able to invest that money and he was able to make a fortune. This is what the Myrel Diskin tells us. He took a small amount of money, the savings that he made, or Avram Hatev, he acted in a kind way to him, not that he gave him anything, which parenthetically explains the, the, the well-known question about how it is that later in the parasha, Avram Avinu, when it came to Melch Sadaim, said, I don't want to take any money from you. Not a shoelace, not a shoe strap. I don't want anyone to say that Melch Sadaim made me a wealthy man. Hashem made me wealthy. But yet, by power, it was okay to take his money, his, his goods? And the answer, I think, which is implicit in the Maril's, Maril Diskin's Mahalaf here, is that really Paray technically did not make Avram wealthy. All he did was allow him to free up some capital, and that capital that he was able to invest, he invested wisely. And with that money and those investments, that is how Kedush Baruch Hu blessed Avram Avinu and made him one of the wealthiest men in the world.
Now, if we know that Avraham Avinu was a great investor, then we could learn a lot about the way that Avraham Avinu went about his entire life, his mission in life, which is not to be wealthy. His mission in life was to spread the fact that there was one HaKadosh Baruch in the world, which, is a, which was a very big Siddish at the time. He was the seed of Klal Yisrael. He was the one that began the entire B'nai Yisrael. He was our forefather, Avram Avinu. And all of this came from Avram Avinu's ability to invest wisely. A lot of the principles that I think we will see in the course of this Shmuz, how Avram Avinu was able to succeed in the way that he did in building a, an Ummah Shlema, in building such a nation, such a world. He was the Avram Gayim. I believe that many of the principles that we learn in business, Avram Avinu applied not just to his investing, but also to the way that he went about his Yiddishkeit. And if you think that that sounds like it's sacrilege, that how are you comparing Kaidish and Chayot? How are you comparing the world of finance, the world of business, and the world of Taira and Yiddishkeit? I want to tell you an amazing story. Ramadachai Gifter was the Talzer Rosh Hashiva. And unfortunately, one of the jobs of Rosh Hashiva very often is not just to give shiurim. That's the, that's the gravy part of the job. You get to be with Talmidim and give shiurim and etc. That's the nice part of the job. But very often, Rosh Hashivas have to do a lot more than that. They have to go and raise money for the yeshiva. They have to go out and fundraise. They go to parlor meetings and they go knocking door to door sometimes. They have to travel very far. Rav Gifter was not, unfortunately, absolved of this responsibility when he became Rosh Hashiva of Tells in Cleveland. And he went once on a trip, on a fundraising trip, to Mexico. And in Mexico City, there are a lot of very wealthy Sardic Jews. And I don't know if this Jew in particular that we're going to be talking about was a Sardic, but there happens to be a lot of Sardic Jews down there, and they're very wealthy. I'm sure there are some Ashkenazic Jews down there as well. But, Chabad. Um, so, the Talzer Rosh Hashiva had on his list one of the major wealthy individuals in Mexico City was a certain Yid, I don't know his name, but he was on the list of people that were gifted out to go and try to raise money from for the yeshiva. So if Gifter goes to his house, he's given his address, and he comes to this palatial estate, beautiful, big mansion with maybe swimming pools and tennis courts and Dako Mikoko. He knocks on the door, and a, uh, a maid opens the door, and he says, is Mr. Cohn there? So she says, I'm sorry, he's not so his wife comes to the door. He says, yes, Rabbi, what can I do for you? Well, I'm looking for your husband. Is he home? 
He says, no, he's not home. He's at the office. All right, this was like at 10 o'clock in the morning. It's understandable. Man goes to work every day. So if Gifter comes back again at 6 o'clock at night, knocks on the door, is your husband home now? No, nope. sorry, he's still at the office. He says, can I come back later? He says, yeah, you could try. He comes back at like 10.30 at night, and again, he's at the office. So he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to wake up really early in the morning. He rings the doorbell at like 6.30 in the morning, and he says again, is your husband home? No, he already left to work. He says, do me a favor. I see that I'm getting nowhere here. Give me his office address. I'll visit him at the office. So she gives him the address. He comes into this beautiful <coughs> office, and the secretary, the receptionist, asks him, you know, what can I do for you? My name is Rabbi Gifter. I'm from Tells Yeshiva in Cleveland, and I'm here to see Mr. Cohen. So she calls him, and he quickly comes out, and he says, Rabbi, I'm very sorry. It's a very busy day. I don't have time for this. He says, what do you mean I don't have time? I'm busy. I'm, I, I, this is, I have meetings all day, and big deals going on. Please, Rabbi, I, I don't have time. What can I do for you? He says, well, I'm here to fundraise. Not now. So Gifted says, listen, forget about the money. Let's put the money aside for a woman. I just need to ask you one question. He says, I went to your home, to your beautiful palatial estate, to your mansion, and I went there at 6 o'clock in the morning, you were in the office. I went there at 9 o'clock in the morning, you were in the office. 11 o'clock, you were in the office. 6 o'clock at night, you are in the office. 11 o'clock at night, you are in the office. What did you build that mansion for? And this man looks at her gifter and says, Rabbi, that mansion that you saw, that you visited, that's not for me. That's for my wife and for my children. That's, that's where they are supposed to have a nice life. He says, me? This is my home. The office, the business, that's where I am found. That's what I'm doing. Rabbi, he says, if you want to be successful in business, you have to live in the business. You have to completely breathe the business, eat the business, walk the business, talk the business, sleep the business. You have to be completely immersed in the business if you want to succeed. You cannot be a businessman that's successful. You know, a lot of times people think that, you know, I have a good idea. I'm going to learn all day, but I'm going to also start like a lock-key business, a turnkey business, you know, that you, you know, I'll have somebody work for me, I'll open up a pizza store, somebody will work for me, and I'll just come in at the end of the day and take the money. How a a person could do that, it doesn't work that way. If a person wants to succeed in business, he's got to be there 24-6. That's the way it is in life. That's what this person told her gifter. When her gifter heard this, he says, Mr. Cohen, thank you. You don't have to give me any money. You gave me so much by telling me this Musashmus. And I will repeat forever what you taught me. And her gifter went back to Cleveland and he used to tell the Bakram constantly. This was like one of his recurring shmuzen. And not only did he tell his Bakram, but he told conventions, and he told Siyamashasas, and he told Balabatim and the shuls that he spoke to throughout the world. 
that Torah we know is a business. Every day we say in Birchas HaTorah, La'asek B'divrei Sairah. What is the word La'asek? In modern Hebrew, how do you say business? Asek. Asek is a business. La'asek B'divrei Sairah doesn't say Lomai Torah. La'asek B'divrei Sairah. When you're trying to involve yourself in Torah, it has to be viewed as a business. If you're not looking at Torah as a business, as a venture, as an enterprise, if you're looking at it like I could do it casually on the side and it's not really my whole life, it's just something that I do, it's a hobby, it's not going to work. If you want to succeed in Torah, just like Mr. Cohn taught me, that if you want to succeed in business, you have to live in the business, that's how it has to be when you learn Torah. Torah has to be a an experience that completely envelops you, that you are immersed in, that you are seeped in, that you marinate in, that you breathe and that you eat and that you sleep. I used to have a Rebbe that says that when you go to sleep at night, you should go to sleep with a kasha. Or Kivega's kasha, Taisa's kasha, Gemara's kasha, Rashi kasha. And when you wake up, you should wake up with a terrace. That's how a businessman acts. Businessman, when he goes to sleep, he's thinking about the deal, and when he wakes up, the first thing that comes into his mind is the deal. If you want to succeed in business, says a gifter, you have to live in the business. If you want to succeed in Tyra, you have to treat it like a business. Business and Tyra are very, very closely related. There's a lot of muster that we can learn from the world of business and apply it to Tyra and to Yiddishkeit. And if we know that Avraham Avinu was a great businessman, then by extension I believe that he applied the rules of business to the way that he was able to fulfill his mission in life, to the way that he was able to spread Taira and Yerushalayim and create a new world. And I want to go through some of the principles that we know of business and show through the eyes of Gedalim how Avraham Avinu applied them to the world that he dealt with. Probably one of the most famous business adages, one of the most famous principles of business, and I guess it's sort of a joke, but when they ask great investors, how did you make your money on the stock market? What's the answer? Very easy. Buy low and sell high. You buy the stock when it's $5, you sell it when it's $25, you have 1,000 shares of stock, you just made $20,000. You buy low and sell high. Obviously, that's, that's not rocket science. That's easy, right? That's the way businessmen make money. You buy things at a low price, and then you sell it at a higher price. That And that difference, that spread is the profit. Avraham Avinu did this. Avraham Avinu bought low and he sold high. Not just in business, not just in his investments, but in his own personal Avedis Hashem. There's a Medrash Tanchuma that speaks about the, the metamorphosis of Onkelos. 
everyone that's Mavir Sedra, or anyone that knows, everyone that ever opened up a Chumash knows that in Kimat every Chumash out there, there's Taira, and then there's Targum. Who wrote that Targum? Targum Unculus. It's somebody by the name of Unculus. Who was Unculus? Unculus was a Tano. He lived in the times of the Tanaim. And believe it or not, he wasn't born a Yid. This person who was such a major part of our Messiah was born a guy. Not only was he born Stamagai, he was a Chashavagai. He was a nephew of the great Roman Emperor Hadrian. That was his uncle. And when Unculus was a young man, he went to his uncle and he says, I want to make my fortune in business. So Hadrian says, of course, you're my nephew, I'm the Roman Emperor, I have millions of dollars, I'm going to give you a lot of money, and I'm going to send you out to the world, find a good business, and engage in that business, you'll be successful. Unculus was very appreciative. And he took the money, and as he was going out the door, his uncle stopped him. And his uncle says, Unculus, let me give you a little piece of investment advice. You're going to be in business, you don't really know what you're doing, so you can lose money very easily. Let me tell you a bit of advice when it comes to trading. Buy low and sell high. Buy something that's undervalued. Find a commodity that people are not interested in, that it's right now at a very, very cheap price because there aren't any buyers. You, you sort of like buy as many of them as you can with the money that I gave you. And then what you do is you want to sell the idea to people and show how valuable this thing is. And all of a sudden, it's going to go up and up and up. And here you're sitting on all the schaira, and now you sell it to the people that you convince that it's so valuable, and you're going to make a lot of money that way. That's a great trick in business. You buy something low, you pump it up, and then you sell it. In the world of stock trading, it's called a pump and dump. You pump up something, and then you dump it on the market, and you sell it at a big price, at a big profit, and you make a lot of money. Unculus went away from his uncle, thanking him, and he went to Eretz Yisrael. In Eretz Yisrael, he must have maybe met somebody at the Kaisel or something. Somebody started being the carry of him, and eventually he decided that he wants to be Megayer. He likes Yiddishkeit. He likes what he's hearing. He became a Talmud of Rabbi Leazar ben Horkinus and Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananya, two of the great Tanoim. And he became not only a, a, a Ger, but he became one of the great Talmudic Chachamim in Eretz Yisrael. Now, word eventually got back to his uncle, Hadrian, that your nephew, Unculus, guess what? He became a big rabbi. He's writing a big commentary on Chumash. He's translating the Chumash into Aramaic. He's like a very famous spiritual leader. And Hadrian started fuming. My nephew, I'm the Roman emperor. My nephew became a Jew. Our most despised enemy, the Romans, hated, hated the Jews. 
Uncle is my own nephew, the kid that I gave all that money, that great advice to. He had the chutzpah to go and become a Jew. Is he crazy? And when Uncleus one day came back to Rome, Hadrian summons him. And Hadrian says to him, you left our home in Rome, you went to Israel, and you decided that it was a good idea to convert. You're a fool. I should put you to death right now. Uncleus said, dear uncle, Adrian, all I did was simply follow your advice. I took your own advice. So Hadrian was confused. He started scratching. He says, what advice did I give you to convert to Judaism? That's my advice? He said, no, no, no. You told me that it was going to be a smart investment idea that when you see something that's cheap and undervalued, buy it, and then understand that it has real intrinsic value and it's going to go up and up and up and then you're going to be a very wealthy man. Didn't you tell me that? He says, of course I told you. What does that have to do with this? He says, when I saw the Jewish people, I saw a commodity that was so undervalued. Nobody appreciates Jews in the world, but I saw how rich they are. I saw how much potential they have. I saw the beauty in their way of life. And I decided to go all in. I decided to create a new world for myself. And I bought into Judaism. And I know that someday, maybe today, you don't appreciate the Jews. And no one in Rome appreciates the Jews. But someday, the world will understand how great a Jew is. And so I followed your advice. And you know something? That is the advice. That is the guidance that really directs every single convert and every single Balchuva for that matter. They understand this principle that you buy low and you sell high. Avraham Avino was the first of Gerim. He was the person that was able to pave the way for all Gerim. Avraham Avino with his brilliant investment understanding surely knew this concept that Hadrian knew, and that's why I believe he put that into his own life. He also decided that I'm going to become a Yid. I'm going to be somebody that follows Hashem, and although today everybody's making fun of me, everybody's chasing after me, being right at me, despising me, but I will create Yiddishkeit to be such an amazing religion And the concept that there is only one God in the world is going to be so popular that I will attain great rewards through this concept of buying low and selling high. There's another very well-known business principle in real estate. In real estate, there's three things that matter. Only three things matter when it comes to buying a house, buying a building, buying land, buying a farm, buying a store, renting a store. Three things. Location, location, and location. That's a famous principle in real estate. That's real estate 101. Location, location, location. 
you could have a big, beautiful building in some, you know, place that nobody goes to, and you could buy it for a few hundred thousand dollars. And then you can have like a little studio apartment somewhere in a hush of a part of Manhattan, and it could be worth two hundred million dollars. Literally, people are buying apartments today in Manhattan for, you know, $50 million, $100 million, $200 million, it's crazy, a little apartment or a big apartment, who cares? Hundreds of millions of dollars, can you imagine? That same apartment somewhere else, you know, you buy that same apartment somewhere in uh, whatever, I'm afraid to, whatever state I say, I'm going to insult somebody in the room, but um, in some, I used to follow in a place in, in Tennessee, I don't think we have anybody, anyone from Memphis here today? Okay, so, um, so in Tennessee, not Memphis, but an ice gefal in a you know city, a little dark in Tennessee, and you know it's a uh, you know apartment. I don't know, a couple hundred bucks you could probably rent it for a month. And to buy it, you want to buy it? Okay, a few thousand dollars, twenty thousand dollars, you could probably buy a nice apartment in that city. That same apartment in Manhattan. Hundreds of millions of dollars, 15 million, 20 million, 30 million, whatever. What's the shot? It's the same apartment, same size, same square feet. It's all about location. You want to be in a certain place. It's not about just the house, it's about where the house is. It's not about the store, it's about where the store is. That's all that matters in real estate. There's a Pasuk in this week's parasha. In Perak Yudbe's Pasuk Ches. Vayatek misham ha'ara mikadum v'veisel v'yet ha'aloi. Avram Avinu pitched his tent in a place called Kadum v'veisel, east of Beisel. Beisel miyam v'ay mikadum. And it tells us that this tent that Avram Avinu pitched was in between two large cities. Beisel and Ai. Ai is a very famous city we know from Sefer Yeshua. These were major cities. Avraham Avinu chose to put his tent, to put his home, right between these two cities. So the Chavitz Chaim asks, who cares? Why is the Torah telling us where Avraham pitched his tent? And fine, you want to tell me the city? That's fine. Why did you tell me that it was between two big cities? There are big Nafkamino, I mean, take out a map, you'll figure out where the city, where, where that place was. Does it matter to us that it was between two big cities or it was in a desert? Who cares? The Chavitz Chaim says that because we know about real estate, location, location, and location, because we know that that's all important when it comes to business, he says when a person, you know, is looking to open up a store, he wants to find the store that's on the greatest street with the greatest traffic. You can open up a pizza store. And if it's on, you know, the main strip of Main Street, you'll do very well. If you have a good product, people will come in. You know why? Because anyway, they're going to this store and that store and they have to go to the library and they have to go to the bank and they have to go to the post office. They'll go to your store. You can have a really great pizza store, but it's like in a, you know, on a, on a side street that people aren't going back and forth on. It's a little further out. And the rent is half the price. Oh, that's great. That's, what I want. that's not the place to open it up. Because you have to be in the action. You have to be where it's at. You have to take your product and try to get it in a location that people are there. 
That's generally the way people go about finding a business, building a business. Location, location, location. Avraham Avinu knew that business adage. Remember, Avraham Avinu was the greatest investor of his time. He knew location, location, location. But he didn't just use that in the world of business. He applied that business principle to the world of Yiddishkeit. And he said, I too, when I'm going to be opening up my business, which is the business of Achnosis Arkham, I want to make sure that I'm in the right location. I don't want to be opening up my tent with the four doors open at all times in some you know, place that nobody's there. That's no fun. There's no one there. I want to go where the action is. I'm going in between two large cities. Between Basel and I, that's where there's going to be thousands of people swarming back and forth. There's going to be trains and trams and buses and cars and cabs and bicycles. There's so many people that are going back and forth between these two cities. I'm bound to do a great business here. I want to invite people into my home. I'm going to be out in the desert doing that. No one's going to come. I want to be where the action is. Location, location, location. That's the aside that Avraham Avinu knew in business. And that's the aside, says the Chavitz Chaim, that he applied to the business of Yiddishkeit. And one of the greatest, Machnis Eochem, was a year that, whose name was Rabbi Yaakov Yasef Herman. I think I've pushed this book so often that you probably think that I get royalties from it. But it's a very wonderful book. You know, now we live in, you know, in times that it's, uh, there's so many books out in the market, Baruch Hashem. You know, there's Arts Girl and Feldheim and, you know, Israel Bookshop and the Chahena, the Chahena, and they're, they're publishing so many books every, every month. There's like, you know, a dozen new books on the market, biographies and, and novels and, uh, you know, and history and whatever you want, it's there. Besides for the classics of, you know, Chumash, Gemara, etc. When I was growing up as a kid, there wasn't that plethora of, of English literature on the market, of Jewish, kosher Jewish English literature. One of the first books that really was a, was a trendsetter, was like, it broke the ice, was All for the Boss. All for the Boss was written by Ruchama Shane, and she was a daughter of this great man by the name of Yaakov Yasef Herman, who was a yid with a long beard. He was a pioneer in America. He, he, um, he lived in uh, the early 1900s. And Yiddishkeit was very shtach in America, generally speaking. And he went and he innovated a lot. You know, he was not bit on things that people didn't even think to do. Whatever it was, whether it was shatness, whether it was called Yisrael, whether it was, whether it was being tsanua, you know, he was Meister Nefesh. I mean, the book is unbelievable. Like, it goes through and it tells you all of the things that he had to do back then in order to further Yiddishkeit. But the main... His signature mitzvah was the mitzvah of And that was his life. He was wealthy at one point. He had a fur business. And then there was a depression. And he became very poor. But throughout the entire existence of this man's life, and then eventually he moved to Eretz Israel at the end of his life. He used to live in the Lower East Side. He always had at his table dozens and dozens of archim. And when he knew that there was a Rosh Hashiva that came from Europe, 
and, you know, was staying in America, like Rav Baruch Bear, like Rav Ruben Rizovsky, like, uh, like many, many, many other G'dayli Yisrael, he would go and he would try to make sure that they stay by him. And when they did stay by him, he made it as comfortable for them as possible. They felt like a Ben Bias. He was a world-famous Nachmasera. And one of the chapters of this book, they used to call him, the girl who wrote it was writing it from a daughter's perspective, she used to call him Papa. And the name of the title of the chapter, the fourth chapter of the book, and you should definitely take it out of the, we have it in the library here, but in general you should, you should definitely buy it or read it and hazard it. It's an amazing book. And it's called Papa Corners the Market. And what he wanted to do was, he looked at his Achmasus Archem as an extension of his business, and whatever he knew about business, he applied to his Achmasus Archem, and he wanted to corner the market. There's a great story in here that this author's sister wrote to her when she was writing the book. She wanted input from her siblings. So her sister wrote to her a whole long letter. I'm not going to read it right now to you. But suffice it to say that she wanted to go somewhere, this sister. She was very excited to go somewhere. And it was like she couldn't wait and she was counting down the days. And then just as she was about to get ready to go to that place, her father comes into the house quickly. He says, you're not going to that place. We have special Arkham coming. You know, we have to get the house ready. There's a lot of Arkham coming. And, you know, she obviously got very upset. She got very sad. And she was very depressed. You know, why do I have to suffer? Because you want to be a tzaddik, I have to suffer. Let me go where I want to go. Why do I have to, like, be here now, scrub the floors and cook and clean? So he said, I see you're upset. And I'll talk to you about it. Well, I'm going to talk to you about it later. First, get the house into shape. So she did that. And once the Ireach left, she writes, it was already late in the afternoon. Papa took me into a room alone and closed the door. He held my hand and squeezed it tightly. Listen, Tochter. Listen, my daughter. And I will explain to you why you had nothing to cry about. In fact, you should really have felt that today you are the luckiest girl in the whole world. Do not think that when we give the Archim food to eat, we are doing them a favor. No. They are really doing us the biggest favor. Do you know how much we earn today? We are one of the richest families in all of America. Look at all your friends' homes. Do they always have poor people eating there? No. There are very few homes in America which make business, which make a business of feeding poor people and guests. There are hundreds of mitzvahs that people observe, but the mitzvah is neglected by almost everyone. Do you know what Mama and I are doing, Esther? We have cornered the market on this great mitzvah. All the many dividends that we shall earn from it will remain with our family forever and ever. You are a very rich girl, for you help Mama tremendously with the Archim. Your children and grandchildren will also be wealthy because of this, because of our outstanding business with Abachnas' Archim. You'll be able to go someplace special with Mama another time. But when you can earn millions within a short while, you grasp the opportunity. You do not allow it to slip through your fingers. And she writes this girl, 
I did not understand everything Papa was telling me, especially the business angle of cornering the market. However, something stirred deep within me, and I sensed that I was part of something great and wonderful. Suddenly, my intense disappointment vanished. I truly felt that I was one of the richest girls in the world. This is a, a new way of looking at Yiddishkeit. This is something that Abraham Avinu teaches us. I was a great investor, but don't learn from me necessarily how to get wealthy monetarily, but rather how to use the skills of business to further Avedis Hashem, to buy low and to sell high, to find a great location and to then corner the market of, of Achlazus Arachim. Let's go further with another business principle that Avraham Avinu surely knew. We know that one of the major ways of getting wealthy is by allowing your money to grow. The people that are wealthy are not people that necessarily are doing what they're doing alone. They do what they do. They take their profits and they invest it and they build a portfolio and that money grows by itself and the dividends come in. That's how people become wealthy. By saving and investing. In Sefer Chavis Alvavis, he is discussing a choice that a person has. If let's say I have a choice to sit and learn by myself day and night and become a tremendous Hamachacham, that's that's behind door number one. Behind door number two is another option. That's not only to learn my, on my own and become a tremendous Hamad Chacham. Maybe I'm going to have to give up some of that. But I'm going to be able to be Makari many people. I'll go and I'll spread the word of Hashem throughout the world. Get many people to and make many people from. Now that, you can't have time for both. You can't completely be immersed in Tyre Yemen and also do things that are, you know, more broadly community outreach. You can't do both. It's impossible. You could do a little of both, but you can't be both a stifler and be somebody that goes out to the world and be married to everybody. You can't do both. Now, let's say you have a choice between the two. What's wiser to do? So the Chavis says that it's far better, of course you have to talk to your Abayim about this before you do this, but this is what the Chavis always says. He says that it's far better to remain on a lower spiritual level and draw other people closer to HaKadosh than to focus on yourself and rise to the level of prophecy. Even if you could be a Navi, not Kedai, it's much better to spend some time and change the world. Let other people have a taste of Yiddishkeit. Why? So the Chavis HaRavi says, because of a business cheshman. He says that if you sit and learn on your own, you'll get a lot of star for that. But it just remains limited. Whatever you learn, you'll get schach for that and that alone. But if let's say I go and I'm the kind of people and I make a family from, 
Just one family. Not a hundred families. Just one. What's going to happen to me? In Shammai, I'm going to go up. They're not going to just give me stuff for what I did personally with my life in terms of my learning and my mitzvahs, but I will get dividends from the people that I was Makarev, from the people that I was Makarev's children, from their grandchildren, from their great-grandchildren, and if you know anything about the way, you know, the funny you know, part about math is that the more generations that go on, the math gets really out of control. So from one person... From the time of one person, he gets married, he has kids, and he has grandchildren. You know, in a, in a hundred years from now, there could be thousands of people that are on this world doing mitzvahs, learning Torah, giving tzedakah, all because of me. That's an amazing thing. That's one person. And let's say you're a type of person that's married tens of people, hundreds of people, thousands of people. You will go up to Shana, you're going to be Warren Buffett up there. Because you're going to have, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of people in a couple of generations that are serving HaKadosh Baruch because of you. That's smart business investing. There's a story with the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim was approached by, by somebody who was, he was a Meshulach. He was a fundraiser for Yeshiva and Slutsk. Slutsk was a very yeshiva, very prominent yeshiva on the, in the firmament of, of the yeshiva world. This fundraiser raised money so that the yeshiva can thrive and it could grow and the boys could be fed and there could be heat and lights and food and whatever the boys needed. And now this person says, you know, it's a hard job being a fundraiser. You have to go and you have to schlep in the cold and in the heat and, uh, you know, take trains and planes and automobiles and do all types of things to raise money for yeshiva and it's a thankless job. The budget is never really, you know, you never get a standing ovation for, for you know, for, for making ends meet and you're never really running in the black. You're always running in the red and it's a very, you just tire yourself out. He says, I don't want to do that. So he had an opportunity to be a rub in a very small town with a very, barely a minion, but they had some money and they would support him. He'd be able to sit himself and learn Yaman Balaila. And he went to the Chavitz Chaim and said, this is going to be a much easier life for me, a much better lifestyle for me. And I came to the Chavitz Chaim for a bracha, that I should be Matzliach. And the Chavitz Chaim looks at him and he says, if that's what you want to do, I'll give you a bracha. The man stood up to leave and before the Chavetz Chaim allowed him to leave, he stopped him. And he says, before you leave, I just want to ask you a question. He says, did you ever go and buy a new pair of shoes? So of course I buy a new pair of shoes every year. I wear out these shoes all the time being a Mishalach. He says, where do you go to buy your shoes? He says, I go to the local shoemaker. Mm. How much does he charge for a pair of shoes? He charges seven rubles for a pair of shoes. And how much do you think his profit is? He probably makes, he said, I would say he takes him maybe two rubles for, the, for all the material, and five rubles, I would say, he makes. So it's good. He says, 
you could also buy another pair of shoes, right? That's not made by the shoemaker. He says, yeah. He says, there are other shoes that you could buy. You could buy them in a store. They're made in a factory. And the factory owner, how much does he sell those shoes to the store for? He says, uh, probably five rubles. He says, and how much do you think he makes per shoe? He says, probably two to three rubles, I would say. He says, the Chavis Chaimza, I think you're, you're right on. He says, the shoemaker makes five rubles for every pair of shoes profit, and the factory owner makes about two rubles. So, who's richer? The shoemaker or the factory owner? Who's, who's more successful in life? So the Meshulach looks at him like, you know, this is not a normal question. The Chavetz Chaim understands that it's not a normal question. He says, you don't have to answer the question. He says, obviously, the factory owner is a multimillionaire and the shoemaker could barely, you know, make ends meet. But why is that? The shoemaker is making five rubles per shoe. The factory owner is making only two. The answer is volume. The shoemaker can only make with his two hands one pair of shoes per week. The factory owner is pumping out hundreds of shoes a day. With volume, even if you're getting a few dollars per shoe, that adds up if you're making enough shoes. And he looks at this mishoch and he says, it's the same thing with you. Right now, you're in an enviable situation. You're like the factory owner. Because, yeah, you're going through a lot, you're running, and you're, but you're a millionaire in Shemayim. Because your efforts are enabling hundreds of boys and sluts to learn Taira. They're going to themselves become Yichachamim. Then they're going to go and become Rabbeim and Rabbanim throughout the fruited plain. They're going to be spreading Taira la'alofim ul'ravavais. And those are all your dividends. Now, you're opting for a different option now. The shoemaker model. You're going to be very chashub, you're going to be sitting and learning the entire day and night, and there's nothing wrong with that. But in terms of an investment decision, it's foolish. I think you're better off doing what you're doing now, where you're touching and affecting and molding hundreds of people, and potentially thousands and tens of thousands, rather than settling just for your own little shoemaker store and banging out a pair of shoes every week, making your five rubles and trying to pay your bills. Avram Avinu knew this principle. And Avram Avinu said, I am not going to just sit on my own and understand that Kedush Baruch is in the world and dab into him and learn Torah and do mitzvahs on my own. The Rambam writes, in Hilchas Avedizara, Parak Aleph, a famous Ramam that we should probably all look at this week if we want to know a little bit about Avraham Avinu. It speaks about the evolution of Avraham Avinu from an Avid Avedizara to who he became. And the Ramam, in the course of his lengthy biography of Avraham Avinu, he says, when Avraham Avinu started spreading the word of Akadosh Baruch that no Avedizara in the world, only Hashem, the Kiva and Shayyam is Kabsim life. People started gathering to him. The Shayyam and Layyam Dibarab. And they would ask him after he gave his 
his shear after he gave his lectures around the world, they would come around him and ask him questions. He would speak to each and every person, not just as a mass, in the masses of people. It's one thing to give a, a shmuz to the masses. It's another thing to also, after that, follow up and speak to individuals. Until he brought each and every person back to the right way, to the correct path. And the Rambam writes, Thousands and tens of thousands of people were sort of swept up by the preachings of Avram Avinu. And they made up the household of Avram Avinu as a nefesh asher asu b'charon. Avram Avinu touched and affected and molded and raised and developed tens of thousands of people. He was like the factory owner. He knew that volume was so important. You have to do things on a large scale. And when you do things on a large scale, that's when you become wealthy. The dividends accrue when your money is working on its own, making its own money, having its own dividends, and, and spinning off other ventures and other ventures. That's how Ramavino made his Yiddishkeit into what we're enjoying until today. The last principle that I want to speak about this morning is a very important principle in business. And if you are interested in becoming wealthy and you read a lot of these you know, books where they interview wealthy people, they all say pretty much the same thing. Besides for a lot of the adages that we spoke about today, they all say that you have to shoot for the stars. If a person is very provincial and a person is just like very into his like little, little thing, and you're not dreaming big, you'll be able to make hopefully a nice Tarnasa, but you're never going to really be huge. If a person really wants to be huge, he has to have dreams and aspirations of like becoming the biggest in the world. If a person says, you know, I just want to like open up a little, you know, a little bakery and I just want to, you know, sell a couple of danishes and, you know, and make ends meet, that's fine. It's good. But that's where you'll ever be. You'll always be a little baker with a little bakery. But if a person says, no, no, I don't want to be just a baker. This bakery that I'm starting is step number one. I have to get a foothold, but then I'm going to open up bakeries all over the country and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be the Starbucks of bakeries and every single little city is going to have my bakery. And, you know, like, you know, it's a show. There's a place called Angel's. Angel's Bakery was like, it started out as like a little, you know, like probably at the beginning of the state, one guy opened up a little store. His name was Angel. He's, I think he's still, I don't know if he's still around, but I remember I've seen pictures of him. And then he started like going corporate, like the whole Eretz Yisrael is carpeted wall to wall with Angel's Bakery. In Geula, Meisharim, in Netanya, in Haifa, and wherever you go, there's Angel's Bakery. And... That's how you have to dream. You want to dream, you have to dream as big as you can. You have to shoot for the stars. You shoot for the stars, maybe you'll get halfway there. But if you're not shooting for the stars, you have no ambition to speak of, you're not going to really make it to that level. You know, there's a passing in this week's parasha. 
takes Abraham by the hand and he takes him outside of his tent. Hashem says to Abraham Avinu, Go and look at the sky. And count the stars. If you can, try to count the stars. And Hashem said to him, Thus shall your children, shall your descendants be. Meaning there'll be as many as the stars. Fracture Mary Shapiro, the great Lublina Rav, the founder of Dafyami, the Rosh Hashiva of one of the largest, most prominent, most beautiful yeshivas in the world, Chachmei Lublin, which is the yeshiva that was built, it cost millions of dollars to build, it was a state-of-the-art building, and Nebuch, it only lasted about ten years before the Nazis shut it down and killed everybody inside of it. But it still exists. The building is still in Lublin. I'm sure many of you have maybe taken tours of Eastern Europe. Maybe you've seen it yourself. And for a while it was like, I think, a nursing school. Now they opened up a hotel there and they have like a little minion going on. Ramea Shapiro was behind that great yeshiva. And Ramea Shapiro, whenever you hear a bark from him, listen well, because it's always the most amazing bark you've ever heard. He says like this, I don't understand what the Pasuk is talking about. Hashem is speaking. Hashem is saying to Avram Avino, look to the Shemayim, count the stars and if you can. And if I was writing the Pasuk, I'd say, and as many of the, as the stars are, that shall be how your children are. There will be so many children that the Jewish people will be huge. But the Pasuk slips in two words mysteriously. And Hashem says to him, So shall your children be. What's the Vayemelai? Hashem was talking. Not to say it again, Hashem was talking. What's the Vayemelai? Ramea Shapiro says like this. You know what happened? Hakadishvarko said to Abraham Avinu, come, let's go outside of your tent. Look at the stars. Look at the sky. Count the stars. Now, if it was you and me that Hashem was saying that to, or the regular, regular man on the street, what would you do? You'd be, he said, I'm not going to start counting the stars. That's ridiculous. God didn't mean that I should count the stars. You can't count the stars. There's billions of stars out there. He probably was like waxing poetic. You know, Svarah, count the stars, that's, very, that's like biblical talk, right? Svarah, count the stars, you know, but you're just waiting for the punchline, Kariyazarecha. Avraham Avinu didn't do that. Avraham Avinu wasn't as cynical as we are. Avraham Avinu wasn't lazy like we are. Avraham Avinu says, wait a minute, HaKadosh Baruch just told me, count the stars. HaKadosh Baruch says, count the stars, I'm going to count the stars. One, two, three, four, Alright, the Big Dipper will count that seven. We're up to eleven now. We're going to go right there and right there. Avraham started counting the stars. He was doing the impossible. And Akadosh Baruch says, Wow, Avraham Avinu, I tell you to count the stars to do something that's impossible. Most people would say, I'm not going to do the impossible. I'm just me. I'm little old me. 
But Avraham Avinu doesn't see it that way. Avraham Avinu says, I can do it. If Akadosh Baruch says that there are stars and they can be counted, I'm going to actually start counting the stars and I will be much better. When Akadosh Baruch saw that, by Yomelai, Kayi Your children will be the exact same thing as you. Your children will be so ambitious and will reach for the stars and will do things that are beyond human capacity, human comprehension. They will accomplish greater, the greatest things in the world because they, like you, are able to say, I can do it. I can do whatever I want to do in life. No one will ever stop me. If I could have give me the ability to get up in the morning and to dive in and to breathe and to think, I can accomplish whatever I set my mind to. That is how Kali Yisrael is. You only need to look no further than the last century of Kali Yisrael and you will see that we have this gene of Abraham Avinu, of Kali of Usfarak and Chavim. People that went through concentration camps, Rebus, Balabatim, women, babies, and they saw the worst atrocities that a human being should ever and could ever witness. They saw their children being shot in front of their eyes. They saw their wives being taken away from them in front of their eyes. They saw friends and family being carted into cattle cars, never to be seen from again. Their houses were confiscated. Their nechassim were, were taken away, never ever to be reclaimed. Now, I don't know about you or me, but I don't think it's the easiest thing in the world to even live after you've experienced that. Most people that went through such an experience, even one day of it, would be lucky if they're able just simply to breathe. After having a family and seeing them killed, after suffering, no food, no blankets, sleeping 20 people in a cot that should fit one person, maybe. If you're able to just breathe after that experience, then you're a very strong person. And look at what they did. They came to America. And they came to Israel, and they came to Australia, and South Africa, and South America, and Mexico, and Canada. And they started rolling up their sleeves and rebuilding a life, getting remarried, having children, finding a job, starting a business building yeshivas, building shuls, kailin, feisafers, mikvais, yeshiva ketanis, chadarim, organizations, hatsala, chaveirim, leivachim, kirib organizations, eishatara, arsameach, chabad. It's not normal. 
within the course of 70 years, we're back on our feet, stronger than ever. People are able to resume a normal life, Baruch Hashem. We are the beneficiaries of those seeds that were planted. People that dare to dream, and the dream is alive and right in front of us, and we're living it. That can't happen to any other people. No other people have that. There are people that were slaves and that 200 years later they're still complaining that they were slaves. Klal Yisrael never complained. They brush themselves off. They dust themselves off. They get up. They thank HaKadosh Baruch for surviving. They make a Birkas and they get going. And they accomplish great things. That's Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu, with his brilliance in business, knew that you have to think as big as you can. You have to shoot for the stars. You have to count the stars. And he applied that to Yiddishkeit. And that is in our genes. promised us that we have that also. And if we're able to take all of these principles that we've learned today in business, if you want to apply them to business, that's great. I get a return on all of the profits <laughs> that you make. But I'd rather have the returns of the other types of profits. If you're able to say that I want to buy low and sell high, I want to see what Tyrez Yiddishkeit is, and I'm going to get it on the ground floor, and I'm going to make a fortune. Location, 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 you want to start starting doing Kirov, and you find a great location to do it, and you see the people coming in, and you're changing people's lives. And you're changing people's lives in great volumes, and you're getting dividends upon dividends, and they're building, and the interest is compounding. And if you're able to shoot for the stars and say, I can do whatever I want to do with Siyat HaDashmaya, HaKadosh Baruch will give you that Siyat HaDashmaya. HaKadosh Baruch will make you successful. This is the legacy of Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu teaches us that from investing properly, not just in money, not just in material goods, but in people, in the Shamas, in Klai Yisrael, that is the greatest growth stock that a person could ever invest in. And if we look at business, at Yiddishkeit, in more of a business terminology, that means we'll take it more seriously. I'll tell you one muscle. You know, I dabble in Shidduchim. That's the only word that I could ever use about my, you know, involvement in Shidduchim. Because I don't do it. I'm not a professional Shidduch guy. I know Baruch Hashem, very nice boys in yeshiva, and many mothers call me about their daughters. Can I meet with them? Can I... And I, you know, and so if something comes into my mind, you know, I see a guy in yeshiva, and a girl just happens to, you know, come to meet with me, and I say, you know what, Papa, let's try setting it up. And most of the time it fails, once in a while it works. <laughs> Last week, I said to myself, listen, let's try to go a little corporate with Shidduchim. Let's try to make it more of a, this is not how anyone would run a business, the way I was doing Shidduchim is not like a normal way to do it. You know, if I would be running a business the way I was running Shidduchim, I'd be out of business in one day flat. 
you know, I'd be like, oh, maybe we can find somebody to buy, you know, this product that I have. Nah, maybe yes, maybe no. You know, it's not going to work. So I said, you know what? Let's try to invest a little bit of effort. Let's try to do a little bit more. And I'm not bragging. I didn't have any major results yet. But I took two legal-sized pieces of paper. And I've been meaning to do this for years. I just never did. I was lazy. I'll be honest. And I wrote on the top in blue ink, boys. I didn't have a, a pink pen, unfortunately. <laughs> but I wanted to write girls in pink. I, I just used regular pen ink, blue ink. But not like the nice light blue ink that I used for the boys. And I wrote girls. And I started making a list of all the boys that I knew in yeshiva, alumni, people in the neighborhood, people you know, in general that I know, and I came up with a nice size list, like maybe 50 boys. And then I started going through my inbox of all the shit-off resumes that I've been getting in there for the past, you know, I don't know, you know, a couple of years. Most of them are probably married already with kids, the girls, but it doesn't matter. And I, I put them all on my list, put them all on my list, and I have a nice list in my office of boys and girls, and I started, like, actually, you know, making it more of a, of a geschäft. Making it more of, not to make business, not to make profit. That will come later. But, um, but just to be able to actually, you know, do something. Accomplish something in a real way. And, Gliayanara, you know, this past week, because I started, you know, doing this and cross-pollinating, you know, the, the names... I had four couples, four, four sets of, you know, boys and girls go out on dates this week. That's a very big accomplishment. And whether anything comes of it or not, we'll see. But in life, you have to try, and you have to look at things a little bit more professionally. One of the beautiful things about this Shabbos, you know, which is project in, uh, uh, the Shabbos project, is that, you know, Kirov is an old game. Kirov is nothing new. For 20, 30, 40 years, people have been doing Kirov. And people may have been inviting people over to their house on Shabbos informally. But somebody is actually the chief rabbi of South Africa, and he has schism that I, I would only, you know, I think we all would envy. He decided, you know, let's take this concept of inviting people for Shabbos and make it like a global Buddha, like a, like a Chavaya, like an event. Let's make it something like corporate. And he got sponsors and he, you know, billboards all over the world and, and newspaper advertisers and magazines and glossy productions. They had this week, my daughter went to a last night, a Fala bake. You know, in Flappish they had thousands of people and in Australia they had tens of thousands. South Africa they had, I don't know, they had Guinness Book of World Records, the longest, the world's longest Fala. And I don't know what the results are. I don't even know what the numbers are. How many people actually became from, from last year's Shabbos project? I have no idea. Hopefully some did. But the point is that you see how brilliant and how successful you could be if you take a concept and you make it into a business. You could go around and do your cure informally, and that's a very big thing. That's great. You could do Shidochim and just dabble in it and not, you know, give yourself a pat on the back because you're dabbling in Shidochim. 
Or you can roll up your sleeves. It's not a full-time job. I still have a day job, Baruch Hashem. But it's something that I do, you know, in, in my spare time, among all the other things I do. And it's something that, you know, if you do it a little bit more professionally, you look at it as a business, and you treat it like a business with the principles of business, then you'll get a lot more accomplished in life. It's true in Kirov. It's true in Shidduchim. It's true in organizational life. It's true in Chinuch. And it's true in learning Torah, which we started off from Reb Gifter. It's lasted with the race If you want to be a Tamachachim, you can't do it yawning. You've got to be all in. You've got to give it your all. You have to be the Bill Gates of Torah. You have to be the Steve Jobs of Torah. That's the only way to do it. There's no other way. You want to be a schlock with everything? That's the way you're a failure. If you want to succeed in life, you have to make it your goal to be all in. It's lasting. It's a business. A business fails if the proprietor of the business is not on fire. If he's ho-hum and I'm not really into it, I'm burned out and I'm this and I'm that and everybody, you know, you're, you're, you're crafting to everybody, you're not going to succeed. The only way you're going to succeed in business is if you're all in. And that's how we have to be with our Yiddishkeit. Whatever it is that we're doing with our lives, but before with our Yiddishkeit, we have to look at it in a professional way. And the more professional, the more entrepreneurial, the more ambitious, the more corporate that we are, we will be able to see results in a much realer and hopefully a much more productive manner. So, Mitzvah Hashem, we should take the lessons of Ramavino, Bashem Hetev Baburai. HaKadosh Baruch Hu blessed Avram Avinu Avarechecha. Avram Avinu didn't sit on his hands. Avram Avinu went and he produced and he invested and he was successful, not just in business, but of course in creating a world of Kedusha and Taro and Amitza Hashem Kariyah Zarechah.